Hey guys, just wanted to take a minute to thank you, the listener, for listening and proving that you have a growth mindset. Our mission is to curate information from top influencers around the world. We provide you with real, actionable steps on how to improve in every and any area of your life, whether you own your own business, you're a C-suite executive, or just starting your journey of self-development. Professional development is all about growth. And you know that if you're not growing, you're dying. If you enjoy this content, please help us by helping others and liking, sharing, and subscribing. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to the Professional Development Podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 5th, uh, and we have on a very special guest, and that's Craig Ballantyne. Craig is known as the world's most disciplined man. He was born lazy and introverted uh, and suffered from crippling anxiety attacks. Craig builds systems that allowed him to build multiple six-figure businesses stress-free. He's the author of three books, and owner of earlytorise.com, where he coaches thousands of entrepreneurs in over 45 countries. Craig, thanks so much for coming on, man. No problem. Now it's seven figures. Yeah, I was, I was going to correct him. I was going to get him on that one. So, what, what, sorry, what did it say? We what actually he, he's, made, he's made $300 a year. <laughs> did I he say said six? multiple six-figure. Oh, he does have seven-figure. Seven. I have it written on here. I'm, yeah, I don't read good. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no, but so seriously, we- Set the bar low. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you coming on. Obviously, uh, we were intro- I was introduced to you through uh, Bedro, book uh yeah. and, and uh man up and then i did some you know some background research just like we do on every guest i saw dude i saw some pictures of you from like 2013 and like one of the early to rise things you're a pretty cut up dude yeah that's true yeah still in yeah uh you i know you're pretty just, big in the personal or uh the uh the fitness space um and so i, I guess I, I had to ask Who's done more steroids? You or Bedros? Uh, like on a daily basis, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He well, gets up. He gets up and he eats some uh, Diana Ball, and then he, um, you know, then he has some Adderall, and I know I, I got it. <laughs> I've actually never, never done steroids. I'm not even. I was never that big. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was funny. We were talking about it. He actually told us the best steroids to get are horse steroids, and we can. Uh, we could all go to Tijuana for him and and uh, do a cycle one day, essentially. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, he was he grew up in. Obviously, we grew up around the same time, and we were influenced by the same, you know, bodybuilders, and probably read the same muscle magazines and stuff. I just never, never wanted to do it for I don't know why, but I just never did. Oh, makes sense. I would do it, but I'm scared. Yeah, like, <laughs> what could happen? What? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this day and age, you can probably get a you can probably get a script from your doctor. Really? I would imagine. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so, I guess uh, one of the questions that I wanted to start off with, I'm huge on discipline, uh, and I'm, we're going to get into morning routines and stuff. But can you talk to us in our like, audience? Do you go to a dominatrix? What's that? Do I? <laughs> you go to a dominatrix? No, I think he does. No. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he does. No, not, I mean, not yet. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. You're like, where'd you disappear to for three yeah. hours, man? It's <laughs> weird. It happens <laughs> during the day. Right. I'm just uh, gone. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah. Well, congratulations on being huge into discipline. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I, I try to be disciplined, right? Like I've got, I've got like uh, an sure. alter ego. And it's funny, it's interesting that you talk about how you were such a lazy person to start out. And I don't think 
anybody that's seen success or considers himself a disciplined person really touches on that like you do. So can you talk to us about like when you were lazy, what changed, and then how you got the title of the world's most disciplined man? Well, I think that like most kids, I was allergic to being told what to do by my parents, right? And so, you know, I grew up on a farm and didn't really want to do the manual labor. So I was, you know, my parents probably thought I was very lazy. And even, you know, I was like, I'm like anybody else, you know, I'd love to just sit around and watch football and eat pizza at my core, um, you know, weakness and path of least resistance. But I realized I didn't want to do that. You know, I did that a couple of times. I remember when I was uh, 13 or 14 years old, I remember I played like Super Mario Brothers 3 for three hours on a Sunday afternoon. I just felt so disgusted with myself by the end of it that I really wanted to not be that way. So the guy who wrote Dilbert, this guy named Scott Adams, he's really big on systems for success. You know, don't just set goals because you'll never achieve them. Instead, build systems that move you in the direction of which you want to achieve things. And it's the same thing. I didn't realize it at the time, but when I, you know, when I am human and, and, you know, want to default to a laziness, whether it's not get up on time or whether it is, you know, not do the most important work first thing in the morning. And I want to check email instead. It's only because of systems that I don't do those things because I'm tempted to do them all the time, but it's the systems that I have in place that prevent me from doing the wrong things. And uh, there was a point in time where, you know, after I'd known Vaders for like a couple of years where I, I was running two businesses, the fitness business and the new business early rise and you know, running them simultaneously and, and cranking out like more content than most people crank out in one business. And that's when some guy, this, this guy, Ed O'Keefe called me the world's most productive man. And I think he, then he changed it to the world's most disciplined man. And, you know, some people really like that. And like my, our friend Vince Del Monte, who's friends with Bedros, he loved saying it over and over again. It just, you know, it got stuck. And I was like, oh, I'll kind of go with it and use it in promotions and stuff like that. And my version of discipline is not like Jocko Willink's version of discipline. It's not, uh, you know, the cold shower version of discipline. It's a totally different version of discipline. And it, it, but it really comes down to at the end of the day for everybody listening, it's like building systems that makes success more automatic for you. That's what allows you to be disciplined in the eyes of other people and get great results in, in any area of life, whether it's writing a book or losing weight or whatever it is. Like you, you can build systems, and I knew this as a personal trainer and reading books like Mind, Mindless Eating. And you know, Mindless Eating, people have not built systems in their houses uh, to protect themselves from the negatives. And that's, that's really, to me, what success is, that if somebody has any ambition at all, the reason why they're not successful is because they haven't built systems that protect them from you know, the roadside bombs. And so if you want to lose weight and you have junk food all over your house and you have more food than you possibly need in the fridge and you don't have any systems around what you eat, when you eat, um, how you can how you can make the right decision. Like the system, the, the systems in this mindless eating book is that if you put a bowl of fruit on your kitchen counter, you eat more of it. 
if you put fruits and vegetables at eye level in your fridge, when you open it up and the first thing you see is fruits and vegetables, you eat more of it. If you move the junk food into very hard to reach uh, spaces, into opaque containers where you can't see what's in it, and you just make it difficult to do the bad things and you make it easier to do the right things, you make better nutrition decisions. And most people can be pretty disciplined for a fair amount of the week, but you know, once you get to Friday night, Saturday night, et cetera, if you don't have systems to protect yourself, like another system that I used for a long time, I don't use it as much anymore, but I did a 12 hour fast every day and 12 hour fast. Like people are like, what's a 12 hour fast? That's nothing. Like, you know, you gotta be like 16, eight or you're not cool and hardcore. Well, 12 hours, like most people get into trouble the last two night, two hours of the night, right? Like that's when you, you know, I've already had all the calories you need in a day, Yep. but because the way that you were raised, you were indoctrinated into a system of eating while watching television. And so if you continue to watch television, that's half the system that leads to more eating. So you need to break that cycle and you need to say, well, okay, I do a 12 hour fast. So if I do have a, um, you know, bowl of ice cream or anything right now at nine 30, then that means like, man, I can't eat till like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I got that breakfast meeting or, I've, you know, I got to get up at six and train. That means I can't have anything after I train for most people. Like that's, you know, some people are like, Oh, that's no problem. But for most people it's not. So for me, I like, I like breakfast and I don't want to miss it. So you know, I said, okay, well, I got to stop eating now. It's six 30. I want to eat breakfast at six 30 in the morning. Cause I get up at four and I want to work and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll be hungry. So it's, it's all about systems. Yep. All systems. Yep. Uh, and you talk, so you, speaking of systems, uh, you're, you're also really big on being efficient with your time uh, yeah. in terms of your work. And I think that's an interesting take when it's a really, uh, really popularized thing to talk about, you know, burning the midnight oil and just grinding it out, right? In your book, it talks about Grant Cardone is like, you need to stop the 925 and start the 95, meaning 95 hour work weeks. Um, why did you decide to go against the grain and talk to us about like your concept of building your business around your life instead of your life around your business? Yeah, I mean, I like Grant and I, and I understand what Grant means. And, and Grant, Grant has done a much better job um, I guess, well, it depends on how you look at it, but I mean, he's done a very effective job of, of mixing work life. You know, like he's never not working. He's never working sort of thing. It's like, you know, he's got his kids and he's making videos with them all the time. And I'm not going to judge and, and because I don't know whether that's good for them or not, but he's always doing that. Now, most people, you know, they go home and their, their wife doesn't want to be in their Facebook videos. They, he doesn't, you know, I saw one time Grant took his kids to a grocery store and put them in the freezer, like in the freezer, like closed the door and, and was making videos with them. Like they were, they were in where you grab like the egos. And I was like, well, I'm entertained by this. And he got my attention, but 99.9% .9 of people are not going to do that on social media. And their wives would, you know, rip them a new one if if she ever saw that you know like, what are you doing first of all don't put the kids on social media at all so grant does that grant is 168 hours 168 hours a week grant is in business but not everybody wants to be grant cardone not everybody should be grant cardone and at the end of the day what most men are looking for is i think 
in my honest opinion, is they are looking for an old school life where there's separation of work life and home life. And their wives are probably looking for that and their kids are looking for that. And so I've seen so many people who are working a lot and not moving ahead and not being successful. And not only are they not being successful in business, but they are actually falling apart in family. And it's because if you actually take a look at the amount of time that they spend, quote unquote, working, it's not that much time. And if you actually rearrange their schedule in a way that was most conducive to productivity and by product, I mean, effectiveness is actually a better word because there's a lot of people who are very productive and get a lot of stuff done, but it's all activity and no accomplishment. So if you rearrange the schedule so that there's a lot of accomplishment, you can cut a lot of the fluff and you can stop reading 19 email newsletters and you know following 19 95 people on social media like none of that stuff is is you know it's people put it in their work hours but it doesn't move them ahead in any single possible way and only actually brings negative impact into their lives and if you just simply eliminate you know if somebody's working 60 hours you can probably eliminate 25 of those hours probably 25 of those hours and not hurt their business in any single way and in fact improve their business because now they have more focus and they, you know, now they're spending three hours on strategy and away from all electronics compared to when they were spending 60 hours glued to electronics. So it's simply a matter of that. It's like, you know, we all know people that go to the gym and they're there for hours upon hours. And we know people who have the same genetics and they're there for a much shorter amount of time getting great results. And it's like, well, yeah, you can go to the gym and do three sets of bench press with three minute rests uh, on your phone in between. And a guy can go in there and in the same time do almost 18 sets, but because he's supersetting and not having a single second break. And it's like, okay, great. Well, you, you stay in there and you're still not going to get the metabolic effect as the other person. So it's simply a matter of being smart. Yeah. And prioritizing, right? It's like the, the Pareto principle understanding how to yeah. prioritize what's the 20% that's going to get me 80% of the results. Uh, and then you talk about like, obviously there's things that you, uh, uh, the, the matrix that you talk about, which mm-hmm. is the uh, w- walk through that. Cause I think it's like the, the four quadrant matrix that's important and yeah. urgent. Yeah. So, so Stephen Covey or, or it might've been Dwight Eisenhower came up with it first, but essentially like you have urgent, important activities, and then you have non-urgent, important activities, and then you have non-urgent, non-important activities, which you know should not even be considered. And you have uh, non-important, urgent activities. I think is is the other one. So if you just ignore those last two and just focus on most people spend most of their time in urgent, important activities. And urgent, important can be everything from replying to a client email, like oh, client emailed me, I got to email them right now. Well. You probably don't. And especially in the morning, people go into their urgent, important. They go in and, you know, to them, it's urgent and important to go and see if anybody texted them overnight. It's urgent and important to see if anybody sent them a message on Facebook or an email. And it's urgent and important to go and see how many points LeBron scored last night, which is not urgent or important, right? But people will spend their most important time of the day in those activities, it's the non-urgent important activities that move you ahead in life. Non-urgent important. I wanted to write a book in 2015, but it wasn't urgent, but it was very important to me. It wasn't urgent. Like if I didn't write my book today, my business was still going to make a ton of money. I could put it off until tomorrow. 
But if I keep doing that for my entire life, I, you know, I eventually I get to 60 and I'm like, well, I never wrote those books. And who knows business. If I had a book in my business, I probably could have had a greater business. And, you know, frankly, I really want to write books because I love books. So it's not urgent, important. It's not urgent, important for you to work on strategy. You know, like, oh, man, you know, I'm going to work on strategy tomorrow. You wake up, oh, man, you know, I can push that off till tomorrow. It's not that important for, or it's important, but, you know, I got to go and deal with, you know, somebody might have texted me overnight. And, and again, it's like, that's what the average person goes through that cycle over and over and over and over and over again until they wake up one day and they go, what the heck? How did I get here? How did I get here? So we um, kind of modified that in my book and we just asked four questions. This is that are going to make you an extra 10 hours a week. One, the first question is, what do you hate doing? What do you hate doing in your business? And, you know, for me, I used to hate doing calls in the morning because that's my magic time. That's the time of day I'm more productive, creative, energetic. And not only that, but, you know, I was spending the afternoon the day before pissed off at myself because I was like, why did I book a call tomorrow morning? I really want to work on this other thing. I'm such an idiot. So now I'm wasting all this energy the day before. And I'm throwing away my time. So all I had to do was move all of my calls till after two o'clock. That's all I do now. I don't do any calls in the morning. And it's all the calls are after two o'clock. Great. Now I've saved myself a couple hours in mental energy that's being devoted to stuff that was useless. Yep. The next question, the next question is what should you stop doing? What should you stop doing in your business that nobody else should do? This is not a delegation matter. This is an elimination matter. And, and it's following all those people on social media. It's, it could be in the personal life. You should stop drinking the second, third, and fourth glasses of wine or the second, third, and fourth beers every night. Stop doing that. If you stopped doing that and didn't add anything to your life, you'd be more successful because you wouldn't be feeling like crap the next day. So you'll actually be more productive. And for me, it was I had to stop doing small podcasts. So, you know, Bedros and I have have done probably an equal amount of podcasts. And the last count I had was 650. 650 times I've been interviewed on somebody else's podcast, let alone doing my own show with him and my own show with myself, each of which are over 200 episodes. So I was doing, but I was doing them to promote my book because one of my mentors said, every time I do a podcast, I sell like 10 to 100 books. And I'm like, okay, I got a new book out. I got to do every podcast I possibly can. So at first I was taking everything. And then... If you eventually get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm, you know, it's 15 minutes before I'm transitioning into this podcast and then I'm doing this podcast for an hour and then it's 15 minutes to get back to work. So it's 90 minutes. And, you know, Bedros and I did this one guy's podcast and we, we joked, it's like that guy was doing that podcast in his mom's basement. And I bet you he has five listeners. And I go, yeah. And it was like, that was, the, that was when I was like, okay, I got to stop. And so I don't do that many podcasts anymore because it doesn't matter. You know, in that hour and a half, I could go film five YouTube videos that right. are going to be watched tens of thousands of times. Yeah. And on Instagram. For sure. Yeah. It's those, it's those uh, needle movers, right? It's like, what's going to, yeah. again, it's efficiency. It's a Pareto principle. It's prioritization. <clears throat> and going off that, so when starting to read uh, Bedro's book, uh, which was like, I guess, a month and a half ago, two months ago, something clicked and I started waking up like at 5 a.m. every morning and I stopped hitting the snooze button and I started like a little bit of getting shit done or a workout or whatever. And then yeah. like after reading your book, I've like really honed in and perfected that with the magic time. Like 
Yeah. Uh, and I can't, like, between those two books, like, those are easily the two books that are, like, my top favorite books right now. So I was 100% that guy, like, a couple years ago that was, like, looking up every possible morning routine between Tim Ferriss and this person and that person. I would meditate. I would journal. I would visualize. I'd do gratitude. I'd, like, do a workout or whatever, right? And it would just be this long-ass fucking routine. And then by the time I was done, I'd get to work and I'd be like, I need a fucking break. Like, like yeah, man, it, I gotta go on Facebook. Yeah, it was like, I needed, exactly. I'd sit there on Facebook or Instagram and get dopamine hits. And then, um, and then came in, like you said, the the magic time. So um, talk to us before I, I spoil it. You're gonna talk about it a lot better than I would, but give us a little bit of insight into what like the magic time is and, and kind of the science behind it. Right. Okay. So if you go back to when I was a broke, struggling personal trainer, right around the time Vaderos was a broke, struggling personal trainer in 2002 is, you know, I didn't want to be that. And, but the thing is when you're a personal trainer, you go from like 6am to 11am, you get a couple hours off, you do hard workout, you're, then you go and train from three to seven and you're fried by the time you get home. And for a while I tried doing my side hustle at night, but it was, it really, truly felt, you know, looking at the computer, it felt like people were sticking glass into my eyes. I was so exhausted. And, and through the introspection and self-reflection, I said, man, there's no other way to do this but to get up earlier in the morning when I'm fresh and work on my number one priority, which was writing emails to my list and creating new products and that sort of stuff. So every single day, I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning and work till 10 to 5. Then I'd get ready for work you know, catch the bus into downtown Toronto, train people. And then, you know, I just do that loop. And, you know, 12, 18 months, I had a six-figure online business, 20 minutes at a time. Also through that, I realized, like, I'd be getting into the flow and be like, man, now I got to go to work. And I would hate it. And it'd be even worse on Saturday morning because I had a little bit more time before my first client. And I was just cranking out the stuff. And it was like, if I could just have Saturday morning my gosh, you know, I already felt like I got an extra day of work done in just the hour and a half. Man, if I had another hour and a half, you know, I'd be so far ahead. And it's through that self-reflection and introspection, I realized like you can't be doing anything else but going after your number one priority first thing in the morning. So anybody who's sitting here and listening and going, man, you know, I really want to start that side hustle. I really want to get traction on that or I want to write my book or whatever, but I can't find time to do it. You got to make time to do it in the morning. You got to make time. And and over the years, more and more research has come out that shows you have the greatest discipline, willpower, and intention first thing in the morning. Now, this goes for like 85, 90% of people. There's 10% of people who are night owls, um, but you know, it's way harder to be a night owl with Netflix and wine and friends and all that stuff. Like it's way, it, you know, in, it sounds horrible, but it's actually more effective, easier, simpler to get up early in the morning, do work on your number one thing, and you will get further ahead in life. And I don't even care if like your, your number one thing in life is like you got $10,000 worth of credit card debt and you got to figure a way out. If you got up every single morning for 15 minutes and you sat there with no electronics and you just looked at your budget and you looked at your expenses and you looked at your income and you just sat there and brainstormed, you did that six days a week for 15 minutes, that's 72 hours in a year of clear, uninterrupted thinking on your number one problem. You're going to solve that problem by making time for it. You're going to solve that so much faster than some guy who's like, yeah, I'm going to try and find time to work on my credit card uh, stuff later on today. You never find time. 
you don't find time. It's not under the bed, like, you know, collecting dust with your ab rocker that you bought in 2001. It's not to be found. It is to be made. And when you shift that one word in your head, I make time for things that matter. I don't find time for things that matter. Then all of a sudden you're able to make so much more progress. And most of that, I don't care how much you hate mornings. Most of that time, it needs to be made in the morning because that's when you're actually going to get stuff done because discipline and willpower, they fade over the course of the day. And if you try and do this stuff at night, good luck. Yep. And it doesn't necessarily matter what time you wake up, how early you wake up. It's just whenever you do wake up, trying to make those priorities first thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's not about the hour you get up. It's about what you do with the hours that you are up. It's not about the hour that you get up. It's about what you do with the hours that you are up. I think the 5 a.m. club is a stupid club to join for more than half of the people, if not 80% of people. Like It's too early in the morning for most people considering how late they go to bed. Mm -hmm. And it's just not right for most people. It's too difficult. And if you're joining the 5 a.m. club and you're in the 7 a.m. club right now, like, just think about how stupid that is. Like, you're not going to last more than three days on that. And then you're going to sleep in until 8.30 and be all, oh, man, this morning stuff's stupid. And you're going to be back to 7 o'clock wake-ups. So if you're going to join an earlier club, just get up five minutes earlier for a week. Then get up five minutes earlier for another week. And then get up five minutes earlier for another week. That's how I went from 7.30 to 5.30 over the course of like almost a year. Yeah, no, I love that. And uh, quick question on sleep. Like, how much sleep do you get? Me? Yeah. Every night. Uh, Just my, curious because you wake up so early. My wife and I go to bed. Yeah, my wife and I go to bed uh, before 8 o'clock at night. And we get up. I get up anywhere from – I used to get up at 3.57 a.m., but – but this year I haven't used an alarm once. So I will get up anywhere from 3.30 to 4.30. And it's just like, you know, I'll wake up at 4.17. I guess I got up now. I'll wake up and it's like 2.35. I'm, like, ah, I'm going to go back to bed. I'll wake up. It's 3.39. I'll be like, eh, yeah, okay, I'll get up today. And and so I get up around that. You know, it's like, I would say that it's seven hours of sleep. And uh, she gets up uh, about an hour later. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate. I found somebody who goes to bed at the same time as me. But I know lots of people who don't go to bed at the same time as their spouse. Some people go to bed really early. The other spouse stays up a little bit longer. It, it can work. I mean, people have happy marriages that do shift work. So, I, I, And I just say that because I always get this, well, what if my spouse doesn't want What if my girlfriend doesn't want to go to bed at 9 o'clock? What am I going to possibly survive? And like, jeez, Louise. Like, <laughs> you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And, and, and another thing is not every day has to look the same. So if you want to go to bed at 9 o'clock on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday – and stay up till 10 on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, or, or whatever, you know, it's like, it's not, just because you go to bed early one or two days a week, doesn't mean your, you know, three week relationship's going to blow up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So sh shifting focus a little bit, you wrote a blog post one time I found, and it was six things you regret in your twenties and your thirties. Do you uh, need to explain to people what a blog is? And just in case for our younger <laughs> listeners, we've talked about blog. it before. We, Medium dot yeah, com. We've explained it. Yeah, blog, blog, so, a web blog. <laughs> I tried to do those, and Did uh, I didn't get any traction. So Damn. <laughs> shut it down. Um, so you talked about you worked with Pedro's through his pattern of suffering in silence, and yeah. um, you mentioned the second you asked for help and. 
kind of being vulnerable with with real friends and, and mentors, everything changed for you. And so I'm curious on that. Like if you could speak more into, you know, the suffering in silence and um, when somebody is experiencing that, like how can they they break away from it? Like is are there systems they can put in place to break away from that? Yeah, you know, Pedros is an interesting character. And, and so I didn't realize how much crap he was processing for other people. And what I mean by that is like when I shifted from the fitness world where we were selling workout programs to tens of thousands of people, like, we, you know, it wasn't like I was really having a, uh, a connection with them beyond like them in a forum and them saying, Hey, thanks. And great workout. And what's the next workout? Like Bedros was coaching people one-on-one for years. And he was, you know, he was dealing with people's marriages falling apart. And, you know, he was like the confident that all of these people, hundreds of people were taking their biggest problems to. And when I started coaching, I, you know, I started getting that and I was like, Oh my gosh, you've been getting this for like a decade. And he's like, yeah, dude. Um, and I, and then that's when I said to him, like, you're like that guy in the green mile, uh, you know, Mike Clark, Michael Clark Duncan's character with, that would take in everybody's pain. Like, you know, it was like the, the person was nearly dying and he would suck the pain out and the person would live. And now he had to exhale it. And I was like, oh my God, you're that guy. And, but the thing is he wasn't telling anybody about it. So he's taking on all these problems and he was suffering in silence. Plus, you know, he had everything that he was dealing with and that he talks about man up. And it's like, oh, dude, like, you got to, like, release this. And, and I think that was around the time he had already started going to Dr. Kevin, his therapist and stuff. And it was through that that, you know, he was able to really have an evolution. Uh, you know, same with myself. You know, he was one of the guys that I would, you know, get some help with and that sort of stuff. I was another one of the people pouring my problems on him. And it's just... You know, you got to get the stuff out of your head. First of all, even if the other person is completely useless in giving you feedback, like they're like, wow, that sounds, man, that really sounds like your life is a dumpster fire, but uh, can't really help you. Like if, but the thing is, like, you solved the problem by talking to them. Right. And so you're like, man, it's like, uh, you know, this person did this, and like, now I'm in this situation, and like, I've only got this, and, and like, just, if you keep it up in here, it's like, um, it's, it's like one time I bought my friend the Death Star Lego kit. And I was like, this is a really great gift. And he looked at me with like the evil eye. He goes, you idiot. Do you understand? There's 3,000 pieces in here. And I was like, oh, I never really thought of that. But most people are walking around with like the Death Star Lego uh, box, you know, all jumbled up in their head. And you can't put it together if it's all in the box. You got to spread it out. So you got to go and talk it out. And so even if you probably just talk to your dog and just – you'd be working through problems in a better way than keeping it in your head. Or if you journal, like journaling, I'm not saying journaling is a bad thing. I'm just saying that journaling for 30 minutes, first thing in the morning, when you have a really, really urgent problem in your business that you have to fix, it's probably not the the right time to do that. You can journal at any other time of the day, but if you need to write a sales letter for your business or you're going to go broke, you need to write the sales letter for your business first thing in the morning and journal later. And so journaling is a valuable tool. Talking to therapists, talking to friends, talking to your dog, you know, making videos, doing podcasts where you tell your story. All of those <clears> things are incredibly helpful because if you don't expel some of that stuff, 
it's like keeping the lid on a pot that's boiling and it's just going to blow up eventually. Yeah, for sure. And so those, like those, to me, that's an external distraction in terms of I'm thinking about all this shit that's going on in my head. And, you know, one question I have is how do you separate the emotion of the external stuff that's going on? So let's say you're going to go on, like right before you go on stage to public speak or something like that, you find out that there's a huge problem at your business. How do you, how do you turn that off so that you can go out and perform at a high level on that public speaking stage um, or in, in business or, you know, any situation that might come up. I'm just curious how you can somehow shut off the emotion of other things going on and still perform at a high level. Well, that's a great question. And that's just a professional's attitude. So you can go through and like, I was actually writing an article on this uh, recently for my coaching clients and you can go through and you can, you can uh, Google like, um, amazing athletic performances after family death or something. I forget what I was doing. And there's like top 10 list of like yeah. athletes who went and did something amazing after a family member died. And, and if you guys are at all football fans, um, you know, Brett Favre's dad died like on a Monday or a Sunday and he was on Monday night football and he went out and he threw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns. And it's just like, you know, it's like, Brett, you know, your dad died the day before. And he's like, yeah, it's horrible. You know, he's my best friend, blah, blah, blah. I'm just putting words in his mouth right now. But, you know, it's like, it was horrible, but he's a professional. And that was his job to go out there and do the thing. And so when you watch like professional sports or you go to a concert or something, you actually have no idea how that, you're like, you're like, wow, this person, did, you know, Coldplay did an amazing concert. It's like, like maybe Chris Martin found out that Gwyneth was like, you know, ready to divorce him you know, on one of those concerts back in the day. And it's just like, but they're professionals and that's how they operate. So if you look at yourself as a professional, you go, okay, this is really horrible. Um, but I've got to go and step on stage right now. And so I'm going to use my regular routine that anchors my mindset. I've got my presentation locked and loaded. I'm going to go and deliver this. It's almost like an out-of-body experience, right? Where it's just like, I'm going to separate my emotions from the job that has to be done, and I'm going to go and do it. Like, like you wouldn't go back to World War II and go, hey, man, like, how are you still fighting when, like, remember your buddy Rusty? He just got his head blown off by the Germans. Like, do you need, like, do you need to go and journal about this or something? Like, right. like you're a professional soldier. Yeah. Like, you just, you don't have those options. And and I think that we're just, we're a little soft and coddled to, to think like, oh my, well, my goodness, my, my brother-in-law stubbed his toe today. So I'm going to have to take a mental health day today and, and uh, <laughs> not be able to like, you just don't have that option. So, right. so that's the thing. That's the thing you have to do. And then it's simply compartmentalization and compartmentalization is uh, one of my mentors taught me this is like, Hey, listen, if your wife is divorcing you, it's okay to be sad. And you're going to be sad in this time frame. These 30 minutes from, from uh, 11 to 11.30, you can go and you can cry and journal and everything. But from 9 to 11, you have these other things that you're going to have to do. And yep. then you're going to have that compartmentalized. And then you're going to get back into the swing of things. So, you know, if, if you are a professional, you don't have those options. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and we obviously want to be cognizant of your time. A uh, couple more questions. One thing we do uh, is... We have always given opportunity for our fans to ask a question whenever they know that a guest is coming on. So our fans are known as the only fans 
Uh, and so today we have an OnlyFans question. The idea is we ask you. <laughs> and I, I don't do OnlyFans. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I have, but I'll do. I'll do. The, the, yeah, the question. We, I mean, right. you could post those 2013 photos and it might make a few. Yeah, right. there you go, man. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and so this, uh, yeah, the idea is you you get the opportunity to help one of our fans in real time. So uh, this uh, this question comes from Jeffy in from Zimbabwe. Oh, cool. uh, I've been to Zimbabwe. I jumped off a cliff in Zimbabwe. Did you? Nice. So, yeah. uh, little known, well, probably a big known fact now, especially in Zimbabwe, we're the number seven entrepreneur podship, uh, podcast, entrepreneurship podcast in Zimbabwe. So we are, are there, number seven. Are there only, are there only eight <laughs> podcasts? Uh, Rich, will you cut that? Will you, will you cut that, Rich? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, but uh, we're super popular in Zimbabwe. We're actually cool. super popular in like all of Scandinavia. I think we're number 30 in Sweden. So, I mean, just making an impact yeah, all man. over the I world. Mean, isn't, isn't that like, first of all, can we just have a moment for the internet where, <laughs> yes. where we can be in the top 10 of anything in countries that, you know, most people will never go to? Like, that, this, this is just fascinating. Anyways, let's <laughs> no, go and, sure. and help, help your um, friend Jesse. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Jeffy says, um, you write in your book that, uh, in order, or one of the things that you should look for when you find a coach is to make sure that your coach has been there and done that. Uh, in today's age where there's coaches everywhere you look, especially on Instagram, why is that so important? Oh, that's a good question. And the answer is, if you were going to climb Mount Everest, who would you talk to? Somebody who has, you know, watched a movie about climbing Mount Everest, or would you go and talk to somebody who's climbed Mount Everest? Uh, if you wanted to bench press 500 pounds, would you talk to somebody who, you know, has a personal training certification and has, you know, never benched over 135 pounds? Or would you go to some guy who has no certification, who's bent 600 pounds and go, how did you get to 500? You know, the, the answer is quite obvious. You want to go to somebody because they know exactly the steps that they took. But most important, they know the mistakes that you do not have to make. So it's going to be such a huge shortcut in the amount of time that, uh, you know, so if it took them a year and a half to get to 500 pound bench press, it's probably going to take you 12 months because it's like, oh, don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do this type of program. Don't do this exercise. It'll knock your shoulder up for a couple of weeks. So just avoid this exercise, do this instead, and you know, follow this program and never train higher than this, and you're going to crush this. Oh, okay. But the personal trainer who's never done that, they would like, well, um, you know, in theory, you should do this, and you know, they'll just send you down the wrong road. So now, is that the only thing? No, uh, you know, just because they've done it doesn't necessarily mean they're a good coach. You know, they can't communicate it properly. So there's a lot of factors, but certainly when I go and want to achieve something, I go to somebody who's achieved it and say, well, you've at least done it once. So, you know, you're a whole lot better than the people who have never done it at all. So that's, that's the answer there. Yep. Yeah, especially in today's day and age where there's so many internet coaches and things like that that haven't ever done shit really and they sell their programs or whatnot it just seems like it's saturated with a bunch of people who haven't done yeah and, and you know it, like it's not to say that it won't be helpful because if all they did was hold you accountable to 
doing some decent things or like maybe you maybe you really know what you should be doing and you know you just for some reason don't follow through on it well now you've paid money to a coach and they're like well hey did you do anything and you're like oh well i'm paying this guy i better at least do something like it's not to say that they're useless i know i know i know some people who are very good coaches and you know they don't have a hundred percent success rate and they get refunds and that sort of stuff so it's not to say like someone you, you'll find somebody on the internet who doesn't like me. It, it's just, you know, we didn't mesh or jive or anything on the, on, on a particular thing or something yeah. happened, but, but you know, in, in you do want somebody who has pretty much done the thing or at yep. least help somebody else do the thing. Yeah. And I agree. There's coaches out there. It's like a lot of people do just need that accountability, right? A lot of people do need a coach that's like to start out. I know what I need to do. I just need you to be on my ass and, and tell me what to do. But then if you're looking to get to that next level, if you're looking, if you, in areas that you don't know what to do on how to get certain places, yeah, yeah. go to a place where the wheel's already been created, essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So hopefully that helps our friend. Yeah, yeah I think uh, we'll try to get some feedback from Jeffy for sure. So, <clears throat> well, I guess we just want to say thank you for your time. Yeah, like, so this is cool. And, and I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm being 100% serious. Like, between like being introduced to your work through Bedros, like this is one of my favorite books of all time. He can't oh, stop cool. talking about it. I can't, honestly, yes, uh, I'm a big fan of structure. Like I said, I'm trying to be more disciplined. It's helped me out a lot, so I appreciate it. I'll probably shoot you an inquiry uh, about the coaching stuff later, but um, sure. But realistically, it's like we want to thank you for your time and uh, and we appreciate everything. Yeah. So I sent I sent the kit to Matt, right? Yes. So, so if you want to shoot me your address, I'll shoot you one out too. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's my life's work in a box, man. I want to get this I, out to the world. I'm jealous because he keeps talking about this book. And yeah, man. He won't Just, share. Just uh, hit me up on Instagram with your address. And I'll shoot okay, you cool. We'll cool. do. Craig Ballantyne, thank you so much, sir. All, All right, see you guys. We'll see ya. Bye. Later.